1: Welcome to Kogel, Wine, and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today, three new films, including Hugh Jackman. He plays former presidential candidate Gary Hart, who was caught up in a scandal way back in 1987. It's a film directed by Jason Reitman. It's called The Front Runner. And funny lady Melissa McCarthy stars in a very serious drama. She plays a struggling author who forges and sells famous autographs just to stay alive. It's an Oscar-level performance. It's a film called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And the Coen brothers, the great Coen brothers, are back with a Western. And it's told in six short parts. It's called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs.
0: I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Cogill. The first two films this week deal with darkness of character, making the wines from Prisoner Wine Company perfect pairings. And for the Coen Brothers' new Western, we'll toast the Wild West with The Spur from one of California's oldest wineries, Murriette, as well. First, Gary, let's talk about our first two films.
1: Okay, there's a lot. I've been watching the ads for this film for a long time, Mm -hmm. and finally the films arrive, and it's The Front Runner, directed by Jason Reitman. And we love Jason Reitman. Didn't he do Juno? I think he directed. I don't
0: know. I just know he did Up in the Air, which he did we Up both in the love. Air,
1: and I think he did Juno as well. But I, I, I just, I, he did. He's really a good filmmaker, and he's Ivan Reitman's son, and it stars Hugh Jackman, of course. Hugh Jackman had a runaway hit a year ago in The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman, absolutely. Just, just fantastic. Fantastic. Still course, makes me
0: cry. I've seen it like 10 times, and every time I watch it, it makes me cry. It but was, I'm a it was
1: on cable yesterday. Yes. It was a, it's a stop-down, yeah, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Because you kind of it.
1: wait for the moment. Yeah. Oh, I want to see this song yes, or that song.
0: The music's great.
1: But we know him all the way back to Wolverine. And... You
0: know him back to seeing him in Oklahoma. So can I tell um, the story again? I think you've done it,
1: yes. Well, but... I want to tell it again, because it, <laughs> it always just amazes me. So I'm in London, and I think I'm there in interviewing Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant for uh, Notting Hill Hill, and a couple other films. And I have an afternoon off. So I go to the Saturday afternoon matinee in the West End and I have to go because it's Oklahoma, which is Southwest America, but it's the, it's the Broadway musical Oklahoma starring two Australians I've never heard of. One was Hugh Jackman and the other was the female lead was the, the chief dancer in the Australian ballet company. And then, but it's in London, so it's a British production yes.
0: of an American you. musical starring <laughs> Australians.
1: <laughs> I've got to go. Yeah. I never seen or heard of Hugh Jackman. My jaw dropped the entire thing. It was so brilliant. And they ended up recording that production in in the West End in London. They released it on, mm-hmm. back then, VHS mm-hmm. tape. And it's called Hugh, Jackman's o- Hugh Jackman in Oklahoma. Yeah. Or, or,
0: it's so yeah. funny, because on my, my little Spotify uh, music that I listen to when I walk and such, mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of show tunes and sometimes you know Spotify like like puts in music that they think that you'll like like a Pandora or something mm-hmm. like that and that entire like Oklahoma soundtrack has come up on of Hugh Jackman? yes of Hugh Jackman and at first I was like is that him oh yeah and so kind of looking at the notes and everything yeah it's fantastic it's fant- he has it, a like, voice his like his voice a cannon. is insane yeah.
1: yes and then you know, he went on to star in Broadway and won a Tony Award and all that. And we know we know that he can sing, but yeah. back then we had no idea. So every time I would interview, because I started interviewing him yes. for Wolverine, every movie I would walk in and I would break into a song, and he would pick it up and take it. So and I just love that. guy. So we
0: love Hugh Jackman. So so let's talk about the film. <laughs> so he's Gary Hart,
1: which is the former senator of Colorado who becomes kind of the front runner for three weeks anyway yes. uh, for the Democratic presidential nomination. This is back in 1987. He you know he's a smart guy, he had charisma is real idealistic he was very he popular with young voters had good hair <laughs> um, he was married and with kids he had kind of a clear path to the white house and it all came crashing down in literally 3 weeks with an allegation of an extramarital affair and there's a girl on a boat and there's photos of gary hart and this woman on a boat and it, it's about those 3 weeks it's about that campaign time of the rise to power of what could have been for him, and then the, the massive fall. Uh, and, and it forces him to address his scandal, and it kind of derails him and his personal life and his marriage at the time. Vera Farmiga plays his wife, and she's got some moments in this film that are great. And, of course, she was in The Departed, and she was the girl opposite Clooney and Up in the Air, mm-hmm. another Jason Reitman film. And, and uh, here's, my, here's my problem with this film. It's, it brings up the dilemma, because we have so much information now with the current president, that one thing like this that happened back then derailed an entire Destroyed an entire campaign. career. Now. Not
0: just a campaign. Like, now have it, we heard of Gary Hart since then?
1: No. Yeah. And now it doesn't matter. It, it, at all. At like, all. Like, nobody seems to care. Or, or it didn't affairs. matter in this campaign. It, it's... it might in the future, but it has not mattered at all for the last... Two, three years, four years.
0: Well, this is what's so crazy, and I
1: think that this is really the
0: the start of having... There were references in the film that, with, like, the news guys of, you know, we didn't talk about JFK's women when right. we didn't talk about LBJ's women. We, you know, kind of had a handshake deal. We weren't going to bring that up because, because your you know, how you lead the country is different than how you lead your personal life. And I almost want to say it's a separation of church and state, but maybe it's a separation of family and state. It's, and it was a separation you know, at the time, I think, going on of
1: the press and personal the
0: personal. Well, and it's like if you, if you talk about that kind of stuff, then you're a story for the National Enquirer when the National Enquirer was a trash rag now i think you know people think the acquirer is probably great journalism because this is this is how far
1: we've fallen this
0: is how far journalism has 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 fallen i completely agree you know it's it's we we stepped into a world of if if it bleeds it leads if it's scandalous then then that's your headline and it's and it's really it's really really shocking but the other side of it is i i I do think it's interesting how a scandal ruined this career. Scandal. Think of all the the John Edwards. Oh, ruined, oh you know, it just Clinton. took one. It's it's these these horrible allegations that have come out through the years, and now we have a president that that continues to have so many just blasphemous, terrible occurrences that he laughs at, that he that he that he yeah. mocks mocks these women that are, that have said that he assaulted them and that he groped them. And he thinks that he has a right to, and that's, what's just, it's just despicable. So
1: there was a moment back. I remember in that campaign, I remember when all this happened and I had just, I think I just started in the newsroom. I think I was probably 86, 87 starting in the newsroom. And, and when it happened, I mean, it was so scandalous at the time, but, but Gary Hart actually said to the press in an interview, "Follow me, follow me around," mm-hmm. because that line that you just mentioned wasn't crossed very often, and you know journalists weren't interested in your personal life; they were interested in your political life. And but when he challenged it, it made them go, "Okay, we will." Mm-hmm. He said it. He asked mm-hmm. me to, so I did. And this is what we found. Mm-hmm. And everything's kind of changed since then. Mm-hmm. And and I so. Having said all of that, I think this conversation is interesting. I don't think the film's that interesting, so
0: in because we mentioned this kind of stepping out of it and and reflecting on it, you said it was kind of a cliff notes of I felt it was of I, the of of the actions of of really three weeks, and my whole thing was you know in a two we watch two hour films sometimes that cover thousands of years, and I feel like I had more information and a more in depth experience. Than this film that covered three weeks that
1: covered three weeks, uh, yeah. So we're in agreement yeah,
0: here. Oh, completely.
1: Yeah, and at the same time, I think Ivan Reitman's and I can't speak Jason. for him. Jason Reitman, that Jason Reitman is making a film that it doesn't really comment. He's not. He's not here commenting like, oh, look how horrible things are now, and look at no, this not back not then. Yeah. He's just he's showing how what happened and, and how it is, and so all of that is interesting. But it's we've seen it a lot. We've mm-hmm. seen it a lot in all these newspaper films. We saw it in the Post, mm-hmm. um, and they're dealing with the Washington Post here too. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen a lot of that. What that newsroom angle kind of works, and none of that's very new. I think all it's handled really well. I think the film's very well made. I didn't care that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't and I don't invested. know if that says something about me or just something about the film, but the film didn't jump off the screen for me. And I think, he would, I think he's wearing a really weird, awkward wig the entire movie. <laughs> um, Listen, I like Hugh Jackman. This is not uh, an Oscar-level performance, yeah. I don't think. And I, it, you know, I think the film's a good film, but not a great film.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I give it a B, and I wouldn't even – I wouldn't give it a B plus or a B minus. I'd just give it a B and – and leave it at that. But it's worse soon.
0: Well, and that's, I think, yes, it, because it brings up the greater conversation today. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm... It's I good to have to in the background
1: of the conversation that today. It's so disheartening today right. to look at that and go...
0: It's like, wow, that ruined your career? That that's really, nothing now.
1: <laughs> that's kind of nothing now. I totally agree. Can we talk uh, about this Melissa McCarthy film? Yes. I'm all in here. This is a movie called Can You Ever Forgive Me? It's an odd title. A lot of titles to movies are starting to get longer, like this, uh-huh. you know, and make statements. Can you ever forgive me? We know her from *Bridesmaids*. She was she was nominated for an Oscar for *Bridesmaids*. Mm-hmm. Isn't she the one that sat in the middle of the road in that dress? No, no that, that was, was that was one of the other bridesmaids. Yes. But I, that was the bride. I, she was the kind of rough one that'll yeah, yeah punch you out. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen just... all these comedies from her. and We've yeah. all got to know her. On television she's and and also Sean Spicer. in the movie, <laughs> in the she's great as Sean Spicer <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. She yes. runs over you with her podium, <laughs> her, podium. her mobile podium. Gosh, great. She was in the female version of Ghostbusters. All of a sudden, uh, she plays Lee Israel, which is a, a real life person uh, who's no longer living, but it's the best selling celebrity biographer. And she had cats, but she wrote in the seventies and the eighties, you know, autobiographies of like Catherine Hepburn and Tallulah Bankhead and Estée Lauder. And Dorothy killed Gallon and and then found herself pretty much living in a very dirty, musty apartment. She's kind of a hoarder. Yeah,
0: very much a hoarder. She and, doesn't clean either. And Still doesn't
1: clean. clean. She has kind of no skills in that area and and really poor and broke.
0: And really cynical.
1: And cynical. And, and thinks
0: that her Kind of mean is, and angry. Oh, well, yeah, she hates the world.
1: And so she keeps going to her, her publisher, which is actually uh, played by Jane Curtin from Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. who was in The Coneheads, mm-hmm. uh, who's really great in a mm-hmm. nice little part. So you have these comedy people in a serious film that I think is in the upper 90s in Rotten Tomatoes. I think this is one of the best performances of the year. I really like this film. I like the way it's made. It's a director I don't know a lot about, Maryelle Heller, who did Transparent mm-hmm. on television and won an Emmy mm-hmm. for it, and Diary of a, a Teenage Girl. It's got Richard E. Grant, uh, the British actor, who is kind of a... Gay sidekick to to her, <laughs> uh-huh. and kind of a partner in crime,
0: uh-huh. very much so.
1: Because what she does is, when she runs out of money, she starts selling stuff, and she's trying to get an advance. I need ten thousand dollars. I need ten thousand so dollars to write another book, and nobody wants to uh, advance her.
0: Well, and it's because she really was, from just my research on who she was, it sounded like she was more like a a a magazine writer. Yeah. Like she had she had long kind of. Um, essays and in various publications versus like long form novels right. or something like that yeah
1: and she did have a book on the shelf yeah. that didn't sell that didn't sell yeah you know and they they mocked that and kind of referenced that but she's really down on her luck and she starts forging famous autographs and selling them to autograph dealers and uh and that whole world is kind of fascinating mm-hmm. that you can have an autograph then how do you authenticate an autograph mm-hmm. and of course all of that catches up with her because you might be able to get away with it one or two in forging. She has an old typewriter that can re- replicate kind of old type and letters that Catherine Hepburn yeah. wrote her or something yeah. like that. And you know, like Greta Garbo wrote this and and then these dealers start, "Oh, I have a client that buy that right now for $1500. I'll give you 400 for yeah. it." And she starts paying her bills and but she never cleans her act up.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's she's a mess. She's headed down a bad road. I think this is a I think this is one of the better films I've seen this year, actually. I like it a lot. Um, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. And she's great in it. Mm-hmm. She's a really good actress. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of all these comedians. Like, you know, we we know Robin Williams did this. And, uh, and you know, we know um, Eddie Murphy kind of did this. Mm-hmm. And these stand-up comics that become really good actors. So many of them now uh, that can do it. But back in the day, it, it, it didn't happen very often. But she's one of them that I think has got so much in her. I think she's all in. I think she's kind of lost in the character, in this one. I'm watching her, and I don't see a lot of the other stuff that I always see. I see somebody who's really hurting and really cynical, and I don't know. I could never probably hang out with this person. Mm-hmm. She's really sour. Mm-hmm. She's she's bad. <laughs> she does some bad things, you know. And you you kind well, of feel sorry for, her, no, but, but not but, that much. But
0: exactly because her whole, I mean, her cynicism is. She's not doing anything to change her to To change her life, like she she thinks that it's the world's fault that she's not able to to get anything published. She'd rather go sit in a bar and drink herself to right. death because she is very much an alcoholic, um, as is her sidekick, yeah. and that's kind of how they bond throughout this film. And and uh, there's uh, she's not trying to improve her situation.
1: Even if she had a whole bunch of money, she wouldn't improve her situation. Right. right. Uh, she'd be
0: she, she and and that's you know how many of those people there are a lot of people out there that are that are just she'd be just Shirley McLean and
1: Bernie yeah she'd just, just be angry at everybody all the time yeah, with a bunch of money
0: just hates the world
1: yeah just hates and
0: it. and feels like the world's against her yeah and has that kind of mentality that it doesn't matter how much money you have
1: so in real life what happened to her
0: so just from from the research I had done on her she um, was convicted of. Um, Forgery. Forging. Yeah, and I think that she had a maybe six or nine month house house arrest sentence, and then five years probation or something like that, mm-hmm. and then went on to write her autobiography called "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" Yeah, um, based on this whole act, and basically, you know, it was kind of the. I think that when it came out, there were a lot of people that were kind of scorned by her. And, and, you know, that had had purchased these things and obviously had, that she had um, lied to were really angry that, that they actually, I think Simon & Schuster published it, and they were really angry that they did because basically she now made money off of what... Off the bad stuff of she did the and then wrote about the bad stuff, bad and, stuff and, and sold some books. And sold some books. Yeah. Wow. So... It's interesting. Though and it's interesting, I think that um, Melissa McCarthy is perfect for this. I think that um, Julianne Moore had been a part attached to this for. Look a few at you, movie dolly woman. Because I was, I was just really curious about. <laughs> do you want
1: to ask me about why? Her,
0: <laughs> but it's and and we love Julianne Moore, and that yeah, would have do. been an interesting kind of to see her take on this character. But I think yeah. Melissa McCarthy is is yeah. really great, and uh, she does she makes a lot of these very silly, funny like. Like, I don't know, she did that Boss movie and she, yeah, the she did... The Boss. Yes. She, I don't know, she did one where she went back to college right. that I watched on a plane. That was actually kind of a sorority. cute.
1: sorority. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're was, like, cute airplane movies. They are. They're great. And they're, and they're usually raunchy.
0: And they're really good for, you know... <laughs>
1: Passing <laughs> the time This is on so, another yeah, level she's, she's, yeah. she's great I think she's in the conversation at least for an Oscar nomination for this When we come back on Kogel One and Film, A Perfect Pairing Haley's going to have her two pairings Both fitting for our first two films that we just discussed And the Coen brothers have a lot on their minds In a new six-part western Premiering both in theaters and on Netflix And it's called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs And we will be right back The holidays are here and if you haven't tried Wine Access yet, Right now is the perfect time. Finding great wines to share with the ones you love makes the holidays, I think, a whole lot better. And Wine Access makes it so easy just to drink the best.
0: Yes, Gary and I love to entertain during the holidays. But toasting with those you love is not always affordable. That's why we love Wine Access. They have found some of the most extraordinary wines, premium quality, that you won't find on every other store shelf at great prices. Like their 2014 Louis Latour Marsanne. Blanc AC Cote Dior. It's steely, it's fresh, it's balanced, it's a gorgeous Chardonnay with white peaches and stone fruit, and I think a complete
1: steal for $24. Oh, well, I like a good Chardonnay for $24. Wine Access's philosophy is that there are wineries offering higher quality wines at better prices than what you'll find in most stores. And over the past decade, their team of experts have tasted over 20,000 different bottles, from the smallest vineyards to the most iconic winemakers, and they only select the very best to offer us.
0: Wine Access shares their full story with us as well, where the wine comes from, what makes it so great, and they'll deliver the wine right to your doorsteps. It makes it so simple, Gary.
1: And we want you to enjoy these fantastic wines for the holidays, so have some fun. And we've arranged this exclusive limited-time offer with Wine Access. You're going to get 20% off these wonderful wines that already are at a great value.
0: But the only way to get this offer is by going now to our special website. It's WineAccess.com. Slash Kogil.
1: And for full details, go right now to wineaccess.com slash Cogill. That's C-O-G-I-L-L. Welcome back to Cogill Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. Okay, Haley, you're gonna pair two wines with the two movies that we just talked about. Yes. I'm up for the challenge. I'm I'm dying to hear what, <laughs> I'm dying to hear all about this.
0: Okay, so from Prisoner Wine Company, which we know the prisoner, they have blindfold. I think they have two fil- two wines that actually do really well with both of these films that include the films, you know, it's all about lying and cheating and deceit, career-ending actions. Yes. <laughs> so they have two wines. One is called The Snitch.
1: The Snitch.
0: Which, in both films, there is a snitch. Yeah. I don't know if I want to give it all away, but obviously, no, you know, somebody no. had to tell that Gary Hart was having this affair. Right. Duh. There is and, a snitch, yeah. and there is a Sidekick snitch in the other one, so um, so this is
1: all under the prisoner umbrella.
0: Yes, it's under the P- prisoner wine company. Like yeah. I said, they have several different wines. They have thorn also, which is yeah. like a they have good wines. Um, they have some some you know they're big wines. They're they're not bashful wines. They're very um, so the snitch chardonnay, um, very very kind of. It's a winter white. It's a it's a warming Chardonnay. It's it's big. It's Is? it's not the steely kind of buttery? Chablis style. Yeah. It's oh, it's okay. it's a it's a nice kind of in your face. Their other one I thought would be perfect, especially for both of these characters that were kind of immediately silenced in their action, though the Melissa McCarthy character did go on and write a book, but they have eternally silenced Eternally Kino silenced Noir, Pinot Noir? Which I thought, especially with Gary Hart, because have we ever heard from him again? Not much. Not much. I think no. he hadn't, nobody had really said his name until this film came out. I think his out. wife and them
1: all stayed together, too. Well, and yeah.
0: I mean, I think that, you know, this, yes. Yeah. I, I think so, but... Um, they're both big wines, you know. The Pinot Noir—it's—it's it's spicy, it's slightly oaky, it's fruity. It's kind of that that whole California very um, ripe fruit style of Pinot. Then Chardonnay, very kind of over the top kind
1: of. So both of these characters in these in these two movies creamy, are, are, yeah. are are kind of big bold characters. I mean, one's mm-hmm. one running for president. Mm-hmm. One's an author and yelling at everybody. Yes. And not that these are wines that yell at you, but
0: they're they're, but
1: they're big. They're they're big. Yeah, they're not trying to stay obscure. Not at all. There's nothing.
0: um, Well, and I, but I like like I. I will drink these wines. I'll drink a prisoner. I'll drink the blind. I actually really enjoy their blindfold um, white wine that they that they made from kind of a Rhone blend. They're not. They're just not shy. They're just very very. um, They're they're. Yeah. They're not, they're not, I don't want to say they're not refined because they, it's just their style is to be very um, big.
1: They're making exactly what they want. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and doing very well. They just opened a massive new kind of tasting room in Napa that is very high tech and beautiful. And um, so they're doing very, you know, they're doing very well with what they're doing.
1: Every time I walk by uh, and I I see a lot of wine bottles in a a store um, or in a wine shop, I see that prisoner label. Mm -hmm. I go right to that prisoner label. We've had that wine quite a bit. I've always liked it.
0: It's yeah, it's a Zinfandel based blend. It's it's just a big fruity, spicy, jammy um, blend that that is kind of a a good food friendly wine. It's higher alcohol, but it does have you know kind of that good pairs well with a good steak. That kind of kind of thing. I know we have lots of friends that that do enjoy it. Quite a
1: bit. I think one of the bottles that people grab off the shelf and take when they go to a person's home is a lot of them grab the prisoner. I've had we've had people bring it to our house quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Because so. yeah. All right, you want to talk? So, about yeah, the- So yeah. So
0: eternally silenced okay. and the snitch. For both of for both of these, films I think the, I two, were, those
1: are two of the best titles you have ever paired.
0: <laughs> are a perfect pairing.
1: I think they yes, are. yes.
0: Let's talk about the
1: Coen brothers. Okay, the Coen brothers come along. I, we are fanatics. I, I am a fanatic about the Coen brothers. Yes. These guys can do no wrong. I don't think they've ever made a bad film. They've made a couple films that weren't as popular as the other ones, but when we go back to all the way back to Blood Simple and Fargo and. Oh, um, oh, my gosh. No Country for Old Men. It goes on and on and on.
0: And Hail Caesar.
1: Hail Caesar. <laughs> Would that you were. Would that you were. Uh, they, they're, they're amazing movies. And they're funny and they're odd and they have random acts of violence in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, this one does too. Mm-hmm. And so this new thing that we're starting to see, because we talked about it with The Outlaw King, is that Netflix is starting to produce, buy in, finance major feature films I think yeah and they're and they're premiering them on Netflix and in a handful of theaters around the country and that gives them Oscar consideration and we're gonna see well
0: I think yes because Amazon is doing it Hulu is doing it all of these kind of platforms have started have started having this I mean but I think CNN has done this also I think HBO does this also I think that if you can if you can obviously get your film released in a handful of theaters then then you become available for for award consideration right um, but then, yes, you open in kind of on the smaller screen as well.
1: Well, I think it's, it was really exciting for me to know that we could turn on Netflix, something we already pay a monthly very, fee for. Very, excited. And <laughs> there's a new Coen Brothers yeah. movie that, that usually you'll get a new film that you don't care about right. that much. But we've gotten Outlaw King, this, and that's, it's going to happen with Roma, which mm-hmm. is a big, big film coming out in December. So it's in six parts. I don't know how I feel about it because I admire the film a lot. I didn't really love watching it, but it's technically like all Coen brothers movies kind of amazing to mm-hmm. watch and shot in the, in the, in the wild West shot. It opens like it's the opening scene almost from the searchers with John mm-hmm. Wayne, like uh, John Ford from where you see all these rock formations in the Southwest, but it's six little character studies of, uh, of reminiscent of kind of, Playing off on a lot of the things that we see in westerns, like a like a a card a card game and a brawl in a you know in a saloon, mm-hmm. you know uh, a stagecoach a wagon train, a yeah. wagon train sequence, and, huh. and they're all about twenty minutes long. So it's got Tim Blake Nelson who plays Buster Scruggs, who opens the film, and he he plays like almost like a ukulele almost on mm-hmm. a guitar and and uh, and sings. Liam Neeson's in it. James Frank uh, is in it. James Franco. Uh, Zoe Kazan. Where do we know her from?
0: She was in um, the the Big Sick.
1: She wasn't. She, was she was the, the girl, girl, and she was Sick. also.
0: She's been in, it in several things. She's a, adorable actress. Yeah. yeah, she's
1: great. Yeah, and Tom Waits is in it. Who's you got that? Tom, I love Tom Waits. Love got that gravelly. I love Tom Waits. So, do <laughs> I like all six of them? Or are they all tied together? Yeah. Some of them, like three or four of them, I'm kind of indifferent about. And I kind of want to watch them again because I think I'm missing something. But the opening one has shocking scenes of violence yeah. and it's comical. And, you know, it's like it's like a, a guy that's never been defeated with his gun. Mm-hmm. And so everybody wants to come and, you know, face off with him in the town and... He'll just shoot you right. And, he, and then just random acts of violence yeah. about that.
0: But then he's also, you know, he's a he's dressed in white and he's... He, he's he Buster has, Scruggs. Exactly. He has this persona of I'm the good guy, but then, man, he's... I'm he's the good
1: a, guy, but he's not.
0: He's a feisty
1: one. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole outlaw thing, it's kind of like high noon in the middle of the town, you know, do, do you draw first or draw second and and then and and it's just randomly weirdly violent like most Corrin brothers movies are there's a real sweet one with her with the, the actress you're just talking about um a, a, about a wagon train and mm-hmm. i think that's my favorite one because mm-hmm. it had a sense of sweetness melancholy to it and i think the first one's kind of my favorite one and i think the last one just kind of ended with like you know in a stagecoach and I don't know. They look like they're all in the stagecoach to hell, but I, I'm not sure what the Coens are saying here. But once they finally get there, it's kind of over, and, the, and then the movie's over. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, re, I'm gonna just rethink this and watch it one or two more times. It's
0: an interesting way to do a film, though. I mean, it's it's we haven't really seen a lot of films like this no. where you take... I mean, I think in the past few years, what, you had the the Bob Dylan film where you had a lot of different actors kind of playing, playing him. him. Right. But we haven't really seen like six mini films. All tied together them.
1: by turning a page in a book. Yeah, It's like each one's a chapter in a book, in a, book. a Wild but West But I don't book.
0: know, yeah, like, but why do yeah. all those chapters... Equal because yeah. usually at the end of the book you you have some sort of <laughs> yes. this is what it all has. Meant. They don't all meet in the last yeah. episode, and, <laughs> or or just what, what the, kill each other. Yeah, yeah, what's what's the kind of what's the 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 purpose yeah. of the of the book? I but don't it's know. But so I, really
1: I mean, just as with all Coen brothers movie, the sound and the cinematography and everything they do, every movement has a purpose to them. I'm not sure I got it on the first viewing, and of course it's different to watch it at home than mm-hmm. in a theater. You know, I, you, I'm not sure I'm paying as much attention as I would in a movie theater. And because uh, you can stop and pause it, and, which happens. So I, I, it's new to me, but I get very excited about yeah. being able to watch movies at home and, and not go to the theater all the time for this. So I think I, I think it's really good. I, I just don't know how much I liked it that much. So I admire it. I'd recommend it. But I'd be curious what other people think of this, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Be fun. This is, this is a fun film to talk about. Good. Yeah.
0: Good. So, I thought it'd be fun to have a a westerny pairing for your westerny film.
1: Pew pew pew.
0: <laughs> That sounds more like Star Wars Gun. <laughs> <Ooh>. That <laughs> so sounds lightsabery, not in, Wild I West. I was going to say, in the 1850s, the days of the Wild West, yeah. uh, Joaquin Murrieta, um, who at the time was considered either an outlaw or Robin Hood, which we love those, and his posse roamed the Sacramento Delta. They rounded up wild mustangs to sell in Mexico. <laughs> so Wow. Um, and one of their kind of preferred campsites was this, um, this, what is now a winery in Livermore, California. So, um, I don't know what, 45 minutes outside, maybe an hour outside of San Francisco. Um, and on this property was a well and that well supposedly had like the cleanest water that, that Joaquin had ever had. So that, um, through the years in 1884, a Frenchman named Louis Mel fell in love with the estate, purchased the land, built um, one of the earliest wineries in California um, into the hillside of, of this property and brought original cuttings from Chateau de Kim as well as Chateau Margot, Wow that supposedly are still, you know, kind of some of those original cuttings are still... Um, being farmed today, mm-hmm. um, it is. It was sold to the Wente family. I want to say in the 30s, um, but wasn't really kind of kept up. I think the vineyards were kept up, but maybe not at the winery. But then in the 1990s, the winery was refurgi- refurbished, and it became an active working winery again, um, called Muriet as well. Wow! It's a really so. My sister and I went there years and years and years ago. And it's a really, really kind of charming place. It's really cool. And it does you can kind of tell this history and and how is special the well it is. still there? The well is still there. It's kind of um I don't think that they're getting water from it. It's more right. just like a landmark of yeah. this is this, you know, kind of old well that and all this You can't history, lower but, me down in you a can't bucket. Lower me down in a bucket and find <laughs> gold. Um but um but it's a really, you know, it's when we think of California wine country, our mind, especially Northern California, you kind of automatically just go Napa, Sonoma. But yeah. there's some really fantastic wineries in Livermore, and there's really great history. If you think about Concannon and Wente in particular, um, they've been farming for over a hundred years, and and you know, this this land in Livermore and and producing some really like Petite Syrah was kind of started by the Kincannons in wow. Livermore and um and great Bordeaux varieties. And and again, just because all of these immigrants eventually kind of as they were migrating towards the towards, you know, the the Wild West, a lot of them former kind of gold diggers that when they kind of either had made their money in gold or they made their money as trappers because a lot of them were fur trappers and that sort of thing and then all of a sudden they needed to settle down and what they do they bought a lot of land that yeah, they eventually bought became land. really really great vineyard
1: lands which became wineries.
0: yes so um in the 19 uh, in 2010 so winery kind of refurbished in 1990 2010 to mark the 20th anniversary they came up with two different a red and a white wine the white is called the whip and the red is called the spur <laughs> so i um, both very westerny which i thought but the spur in particular it's a cabernet blend kind yeah. of um celebrating their history of, of this really great old world kind of Bordeaux style blend, um, Cabernet based earthy, but still very, you know, kind of fruit forward, lots of cassis, lots of cherry, lots of plum, um, affordable and, and kind of a, I, I think a fun little story.
1: Who knew that Joaquin Marietta would yes. just wander on and saunder on up to the bar. One, uh-huh, we're going to make <laughs> wine someday. Had no idea. When all that started, so that's funny. the perfect tie-in. Well, that was my bad, John Wayne, wasn't it? From the 1850s to the spur Cabernet red. That's blend. right. I love that. Next time on kogel Wine and Film, a perfect pairing. More great films, either in theaters or on demand, along with wines and pairings that we think are worthy of celebration.
0: But for more on our discussion today, please follow our blog on CogelConsulting or through Facebook. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And to see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas Uncourt.
1: And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and I'm always looking for the next great film.
0: I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine.
1: Join us next time on Cogill Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.
0: Aloha. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022.